That's good to hear. It's good to see you. Welcome to Waters Church, North Attleboro. We are one church in three locations. Norwood, North Attleboro, Taunton, Massachusetts. So glad that you came today. If you are here for the first time, a very special welcome to you. My name is Tim, and I'm the campus pastor here in North Attleboro. It is a pleasure to have you with us worshiping. I uh, preached last week pretty strongly about the God can we will in the message and uh, afterwards, I felt like I had preached at you, and I never said thank you. And I want to say to those of you who have supported the God Can We Will building campaign, a big thank you. You have invested greatly, and just in five weeks, we are at the $80,000 number. That is a very good sign of things to come. <coughs> very good. Very good sign. Got a long way to go. We have until 2017 to find a new home. Now that sounds like a long ways off, but it takes time to get building plans and construction and loans and all that kind of stuff. And so I believe that God has got us positioned perfectly to make a smooth transition uh, from this building into a place that we own. I hope it's sooner. We're talking with CVS about our uh, extension term and what can be done about that. What can we adjust about that? term. Uh, but we do have a five-year uh, term in place now that we can sign at any time. We don't want to do that. We want to talk to them, see if we can negotiate, because we'd like it to be much sooner than 2017, and we'd like to believe God open up a door quicker than we imagine, because we serve a God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. Amen. And so I want you to be in prayer, and I want you to continue to give. And if you haven't started giving yet, it's not too late. There's a card in front of you. You can commit to a weekly amount, a monthly amount, or a one-time amount for the God Can We Will campaign. God bless you as you do that. Keep doing it. And I believe that there are great things in store for our campus here in North Attleboro. Amen. Um, so take out your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, paper version Bible, you can get it on your iPhone, smartphone, or tablet. Uh, or your desktop PC, if you happen to bring that with you this morning. And you can go to the Uversion Bible app, the lifechurch.tv app. You can download that right now within the next 30 seconds and be at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And here's the rule about the smartphone Bible. We haven't actually specified this yet. If you're on your smartphone Bible, you're allowed to use it in your church. But as I'm preaching, please do not text, tweet, or Facebook status update. Unless your status update is, man, Pastor Tim is really bringing it this morning. <laughs> that's, that's the deal, okay? So your Bibles are open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You can put your finger there and you can just hold on a second because we'll get there. But we're in this series called On Mission. And the fact of the matter is we are all on mission in Christ. God has a call on all of us. It is not just for the pastor. It is not just for the elders. It is not just for the deacons. It is for every person who is called by the name of Jesus Christ to be a light to our community, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are called to be on mission with God's mission. That's what this series is about. Last week, I challenged you with a sentence. And uh, before we get to that sentence, I just wanted to say to all of our Irish people this morning, happy St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> uh, yeah. Irish people are always loud for some reason. <laughs> and we're so glad that you're loud. I like a loud church that's happy and, and kicking it back to me. Uh, Happy St. Patrick's Day. We, I, I looked it up yesterday about St. Patrick, and I, and I was stunned to find out the story of St. Patrick. I realized that he, just, he wasn't just a beer-drinking Irishman. He wasn't a beer-drinking Irishman. He was a man who was saved at a young age. At the age of 14, at age of 14, his village was raided by Druids and pagans from Ireland, and he was taken captive 
by those people at the age of 14. And he was forced into slavery for six years to herd sheep for the pagans and the Druids. And as he was in slavery, in captivity, he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And he says that he prayed up to 300 prayers a day. By the way, if that was you, you would too. And he prayed and he prayed and he asked God for deliverance. And he said, and one day God gave him a dream, go down to the riverbank, I mean, to, to the shore, and there will be a British boat waiting for you to take you back to Britain. And he obeyed that dream and he went down and he found the boats waiting for him and he escaped the island and went back home. And as he was praying and as he was seeking God and growing in the faith, suddenly he had another dream. And in this dream, he saw the people of Ireland, the very people that he had escaped from, in the dream saying, come back, young, holy youth, and talk to us again. And he heard the call of God in his heart, and he went back to Ireland, and, and historians write it like this, that within 40 years, the entire island had been converted to Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I just thought to myself, man, doesn't that story just fit with what we're talking about in this series, God Can We, I mean, uh, uh, on mission, being about uncomfortability for the sake of those who need the comfort that we have received in Christ. Could you imagine going back to your captors and actually willingly walking along amongst those people who had enslaved you and saying, I'm here not to, not to just be afraid of you anymore. I'm here to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. And can you imagine the amazing commitment and sacrifice that that man made for the sake of that island? And, and I think that what we do in westernized civilizations is we, we take for granted far too much the influence of Christianity in our history. And don't realize that the civilization on which we stand was grounded in the conversion of entire people groups to the Lord Jesus Christ over the centuries and that we are now at the precipice of a moment in our nation's history where we are abandoning the very foundation that built this great nation on which we stand. And we've got to be very careful that we don't get antagonistic about Christianity, but that we lovingly do what St. Patrick did, and that is get uncomfortable for those who need the comfort that we ourselves have received. And so last week, I opened up this series with that statement, and I want you to write it down. And I asked you to write it down last week, and if you haven't written it down yet, you're going to write it down today. If you're taking notes, write this down. And if you're not taking notes, write this down. Here's the statement I want to make. Jesus comforts the challenged and challenges the comforted. Just write that down. Jesus comforts the challenged and he challenges the comfort. He doesn't just come to make you comfy. He doesn't just make life easier for you. He then comes to challenge you to say, hey, you have received greatly from God. Now it's your turn to give greatly in the name of God. And the gospel comes to you, it must also go through you. As you are not meant to be a reservoir that just kind of stores up all the blessings of God, you are meant to be a river that is the channel through which God's love, God's grace, God's compassion, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's unending gentleness is available to those you meet and work with and live with. And my challenge to our church and my challenge in this On Mission series is get uncomfortable for the sake of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ got uncomfortable for you. 
We looked last week in Luke chapter 8, you don't have to turn there, but we talked about this man, this demoniac in Luke chapter 8, and he was a man in whom lived 6,000 demons, 6,000 demons, and he was naked and he was poor and he lived among the tombs. He was a wild man and he was insane. He was a guy that everybody in this church would have avoided if you saw him. I would have avoided him. He was completely challenged. Uh, chained and, and shackled and he would break the shackles and he would run wild through the wilderness all alone. Satan had his life in the palm of his hands and Jesus comes in and delivers him in a moment. Casts out all the demons and the man is, is healed and saved and delivered and set free. This man that, that we would put in an institution today radically changed by the God who loves him and made him. And I shared with that that with you last week and then I shared with you that this was the position or the spiritual posture of his life afterwards we're gonna put up on the screen verse 35 I want you to look at it with me here was the end result of this encounter with Jesus it says that they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed and look at his spiritual posture now it says that he is seated sitting at the feet of Jesus that's a posture of discipleship that's a posture of receiving now the comfort of God. Notice he's not running wild, now he's sitting. That's calmness, that's sanctuary, that's solace in the presence of a loving, gentle, godly Savior who loves us and wants to comfort us and cause us no longer to fear and stress out. And then he's also clothed. What's that a sign of? That's a sign of prosperity. He was naked, now he's clothed. Suddenly, one encounter with Jesus and he's already making money. He's already growing financially. He's already getting blessed. That's what God wants to do with you. He wants to bless you. He doesn't want to steal from you. That's what the devil wants to do. The devil wants to steal from you. Jesus said he's a liar. He's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan wants to steal from you. God wants to bless you. Wants to prosper you. Wants to make you very, very blessed. And then it also says that he was in his right mind. And how many of us could use a big dose of being in our right mind? Just to be able to say, oh, I think I got it now. I mean, how many of us do that thing where we just say something or we do something and we immediately think, what did I, what was I thinking? <coughs> Why did that come out of me? It's because, it's because left to yourself, you are insane. You, you drift into... Uh, these evil thoughts and evil patterns and evil behaviors, but in Christ, we are not given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And the greatest thing that God can do in your life is change your mind and renew your mind and make you at ease and calm inside yourself. Many of us need to get right with God. Some of us need to get right with other people, but all of us need to get right with ourselves. Just have our mind sanctified. This man has changed. And then you read the story, and a few verses later, he's like, Jesus, can I go with you? Because Jesus is leaving the island. And now he's like, hey, Jesus, can I go with you? I, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to hang with you. I like you. All these other people here, they don't like me. But you like me. You love me. I think I'll hang with you. I think I'll be one of your disciples. And Jesus says, no. He says, no, no, no. You go back. And, and, and you think about that. It's not a bad thing to want to be with Jesus. This is not a bad request, but Jesus says, no, I got a better plan for you. I want you to go home, and I want you to tell everybody what God has done for you. 
I said last week that that is witnessing, that is sharing our faith, that is being on mission. Sharing what God has done for you. Telling your story. Because we all have a story, don't we? We all have a story of where we were, what Jesus did for us, and what we are now. We all have a story that we're looking at and, we, and maybe, maybe we're in the middle of our story. Maybe we're in the beginning of our story. Maybe we haven't even started our story. But let me tell you something. We're all a small story in the big history of God. Because history is his story. It is not our story, it is God's story. How does your story fit into God's story? Well, here's how you find that out. You start telling your story to everybody that you know and you don't have to argue politics. You don't have to argue creation, evolution. You don't have to argue, uh, do we come from monkeys or not? You don't have to argue the social issues of the day. You don't have to argue them into faith. You just have to share your story. Because your story can change somebody else's story. Your story can affect someone else's story because they're going to say, they're just like me. I didn't realize that Christians, they're not weird. They're not out of touch with society. They do the same stuff we go through. And they're just like me. And they've got some peace about them. And they've got some kind of joy about them. And even when things are bad, they still have some kind of hope about their life. And their story resonates with other people's stories. And people get saved because you share your story. And we all have a story. And we need to share it. And Jesus says, you go home and you share your story. He comforted the man who was challenged and immediately he challenges him to go and comfort others. That's the story. That's the message of this series. If you have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, stand with me and we're going to read. <coughs> that was my introduction. <laughs> if you thought that was long, wait till my conclusion. And, and, all right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, 3 through 7. And I love these verses. And let me tell you something. When I read them, you're going to love them too. I love these verses. Because this whole deal about being comforted so that other people can be comforted through the, through the comfort that we have got comes from these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. So let's read together. Here's what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. He's the God of all comfort. Somebody say all. He's the God of all comfort. I love that. Who comforts us in all our afflictions. Somebody say all. I did a study for the word in Greek for all, and I found out that the word for Greek in all means all. <laughs> he comforts us in all our afflictions so that. Somebody say so that. Yeah. Say it like I mean it. Say so that. Yeah. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. He comforts us so that we may comfort others with the comfort with which we have received ourselves by God. And he says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And then he says these words, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort. If we are afflicted, if, if Christians are afflicted, is for the sake of the comfort of people who aren't yet Christians. You are afflicted for others' sake. I want to ask some people here this morning who were here last week, uh, did you answer the call of the One Row Challenge? How many remember the One Row Challenge? How many completely forgot about the One Row Challenge? The One Row Challenge is whatever seat that you're planning on sitting, sit one row closer and try to disprove the rule that in New England all the seats in Fenway are good in the front and all the seats at church are good in the back. <laughs> Get uncomfortable and come forward 
and love your pastor. So that, the, so that the first-time guests can come and sit in the back, sneak in, sneak out, and they don't have to feel uncomfortable by sitting in the front row their very first time here. If we are afflicted, it is for your sake. If I ask you to do something that is making you uncomfortable, it is for the sake of the lost. If we sing songs that you're not comfortable with, it is for the sake of those who are outside of Christ. And if, if we are doing something that you say, why are they doing that? It is so that other people who don't know Christ yet can be comforted with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And he says, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Let's pray. Father, I ask that our church will be the kind of church where every Christian, every person who claims Christ as Lord, willing to get uncomfortable for the people who need you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you sit down and relax for a moment? I'm still getting over my cold, so forgive me. We do want to say a welcome to our Taunton campus who watches these videos every week. We love you, Taunton. Everybody in North Attleboro, let's give them a hand. Welcome them in. So Paul is in 2 Corinthians talking about his afflictions, his troubles, his trials, his situations that he's gone through. And in the later verses of the chapter, he even says that our troubles were so bad, we even despaired of life. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the man who lived, slept, ate, drank, breathed Christ, completely committed to the cause of Christ, and he is suffering. How many know that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to suffer? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're not going to experience afflictions. In fact, sometimes being a Christian is going to bring on some more afflictions. Like Jesus said it like this, because they hate me, they're going to hate you. There are going to be some people who just don't like you simply because you love Jesus. There are going to be some people who are not down with your faith. They're not cool with your commitment. They don't understand why you're doing what you're doing in Jesus' name. And you're going to have one of those relationships that is just a whole lot of work. How many of us have a, a couple of relationships like that? You're just like, Lord, I, I, I know you're supposed to love them. I know I'm supposed to love them, but does it have to be so much work? I talk to them for five minutes, I'm exhausted. <laughs> and they just take it out of you and, and you say, I thought that being a Christian would make it easier. Um, this is another one. I thought that if we were Christians and we got married, it would be heaven. Mm -mm. <laughs> Remember that Jesus says in, mar in heaven there is no marriage. Here's a reason why he said that. <laughs> Doesn't make it easier. Sometimes it makes it harder. You're going to be afflicted in Christ sometimes. You're going to go through some things. You're going to experience stuff that you don't want. You're going to be going along in life. And you're going to think, this is finally starting to come together for me. I finally got it right where I want. And crash! What the? 
Where did this come from? And, and you're thinking to yourself, did I sin? Uh, did I, am I not committed to Christ? Am I not praying enough? Am I not fasting enough? Am I, am I not going to church enough? No, you're just in life, and life throws you some wrenches, and life throws you some hard times, and you got to know that just being a Christian does not sanctify the experiences in which you find yourselves, but it actually gives your experiences a reason. See, all of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 7, hinge on two words. And I asked you to say them, and I hope you caught them. The two words were, so that. <laughs> he comforts us in all of our affliction, so that. Do you understand what those two words mean? They presuppose purpose. They, 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 they eradicate the idea that it's just life, get over it. In Christ, it's never just life. In Christ, it's never purposeless. In Christ, your afflictions have a reason. There is a purpose to your problem, and God is in the business of turning every test into a testimony. So that. Somebody say, so that. I love this, these words, so that. I, I want you to look again in, in, in first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to look, because here's what we do in, in, in this world as Christians. If we're not careful, we will put periods where God wants us to put commas. Look at the words again. Verse 4, who comforts us in all of our affliction. What's the punctuation in the English translation there after the word affliction? It's a comma. It's a comma. In other words, the thought's not done. He comforts us in our affliction, comma, so that, not just, not just, you know, be at peace, not just know Jesus, go to heaven, not just that, so that, so that we may be able to comfort those who need the comfort we've ourselves received. Jesus comforts the challenge so that the ch comforted can be challenged to comfort those who need the comfort that we have received. God is in the business of giving you a so that to your problem to your situation, to your life's experiences. And I love that about our God. Let me be very clear. Whatever it is you're going through right now, if you just learn to put a so that at the end of it, it's gonna turn your perspective completely around. I'm going through something right now, oh. Oh, it's just terrible, I don't wanna go through this, I don't like it. I hate it, actually. I'm wondering where God is. I'm praying all the time. No answer's coming. I don't know why I'm struggling with it. You're struggling with that, so that. When you receive God's comfort, why did you experience the cancer? You experienced the cancer so that you can give hope to those who experience cancer after you. Why did you experience the divorce? You experienced that divorce so that you have a testimony of how God rescued you from loneliness and abandonment and gave you hope in a future. Why did you lose that child? Why did you lose that spouse? Why did you lose that father or that mother? You, you lost them because God has a plan and a purpose, and you're not going to be the last person in life to experience that. There's going to be somebody who needs to hear your story, because your story will give them hope where there's no hope, peace where there's no peace, a, a purpose where it seems like life is empty and meaningless. God is in the business of so that, you know, um, it's, it's so good to serve a God who is all about so that because we live in a culture that's all about so what? Oh, you, had, you lost your 
spouse, oh, tough break. So what? You know, what can you do? Oh, you got cancer. Ah, that's terrible. Well, what can you do? So what? Oh, you had that problem. Yeah, me too. You know, that's how it is. Or the worst line, the worst line of life is, is this line that people throw at you. It is what it is. I hate that. I just hate that. I know it is what it is. What are you, some kind of Dr. Seuss rhyme a diddle? Are you writing a book about my problems? It is what it is. I mean, come on. And, and we, we've got to realize that, that in our culture of so what, that God is looking for us so that. Now, here's, here's a silly illustration to kind of make us remember that God is not about so what, God is about so that. Uh, when we get something we don't experience in life, we tend to do this. We tend to just like throw our hands up like, what the, I didn't need that. Oh, you know, oh. In fact, everybody do this with me. All right, now, now I want to ask you something. What letter of the alphabet do I look like? <laughs> w, that's right, W. This is the posture of someone without purpose in their problem. So what? So what I'm going through this, so what? And I thought about this. There is a very short distance from the word so that to so what, or so what to so that. In fact, it's just a one letter difference in the English that in Christ you can go from so what, replace your W with a T, and go to so that. Some of you are thinking about S-O space. Of, yes, that's right, that's right. <laughs> you, you can go from a what, what is going on, to this is the reason why it's going on in Christ. And you take your W and you put your arms out and you are in Christ. And I want to ask you something. Who put his arms like this for you? He went to the cross. So that. So that you could be saved, ransomed, redeemed, rescued. Given a home, hope, and a future. And your life could never be the same again. I looked, at, I looked at Luke 8 again this week, and I looked at this story, and I thought, man, this guy, is a, this guy is living in the exact same kind of culture we're living in, a so what culture. He's in a so what culture. He's naked. He's among the tombs. He's demon-possessed. He's insane. He's out of his mind, and the whole culture doesn't care, does not care. You say, how do I get that? Well, let's take a look at the scripture again. I'm going to put it on the screen. Look at this so what nature of this culture. Uh, verse 32, it says, Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain, so they, beget, so they begged. The demons begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. So the man saved, but the swine are killed. And Mark's gospel tells us it was 2,000 swine, 2,000 pigs. In verse 35, skip there, it says, Then they went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. And they were, and what's the word? They were afraid. And then skip to verse 37. Then the whole multitude, check out what happens. This is crazy. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding regions of the Gerasenes asked him, asked Jesus. In the NIV it says, they begged Jesus to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear, and he got into the boat, and he returned, because God will not force himself on anybody. You see what happened? This man is saved, and it cost them 2,000 pigs, 
And the herders don't know what to do. They run into town. They bring people back from the town. And the story is going on. Well, what happened? Well, well uh, over here, remember Joe. He's the crazy guy from the tombs. He, he's right here sitting at Jesus' feet. But whatever was in him got in our swine. And, and the swine are gone. And, and I can imagine all the people saying, oh, my gosh, all that bacon. How did this happen? Yeah, the, the thing that was in him went into the swamp. Well, how did that happen? Well, this guy, Jesus, he's from the other side of the lake. Jesus, uh, he's like some kind of miracle worker, and he, he healed this guy, but we lost our pigs. And I can imagine them saying, man, if he cost us 2,000 pigs in one day, what's he going to do in one week? What's he going to cost us? They were uncomfortable as Jesus was making somebody else comfortable. And I thought to myself, or maybe you think to yourself, what a horrible culture, right? What a horrible culture, pigs? You're, you're, you're upset about pigs? And, 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 and there's a man here that's been saved and maybe a wife has her husband back, maybe a father has his son back, maybe a son has his father. I mean, this is a better story than the pigs. And we tend to look at the scriptures and we say, I would never do that. Let me ask you something. What if they were 2,000 iPhones? What if there were 2,000 HD TVs? What if every time somebody came to faith in Christ in your church, your HD TV would blow up? <laughs> it's quiet. And I thought to myself, this is us, this is our culture, this is how quickly we become consumed with possessions and consumption and things. And we forget what really is on God's heart. And then I thought about this culture of so what, right? That this guy is so messed up. How did he get there? Because people aren't born demon-possessed. How did he get there? Maybe it was because he lived in a culture in which pigs were more valuable than people. And maybe that's what our nation is becoming. Oh, we flip out when Wall Street has a bad day. But there are people being enslaved by drugs and alcohol. The, 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 the demonic is alive and well in our culture. Divorces are happening on the rise. Children are being abandoned, born to illegitimate pregnancies. There is people dying in our world, and we're so consumed with the next greatest thing we can buy or have or play with. What's more valuable? What kind of culture do we want to be? What kind of church do we want to be? Because I can't change the culture, but I hope I can change some of you. To be the kind of church that is passionately committed to what God is passionately committed to, and that is people. People matter more, to any, more than anything to God. More than our phones and our PCs and our tablets. More than anything in our world, that is what God loves and longs for. And I thought about some so that's in the scriptures, and, and I had to put some up for you, because this is, this is our God. He's a so that kind of God. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 21, we read this last week. Uh, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in Jesus, so that, there it is, so that in Jesus, we may become the righteousness of God. That God is a so that kind of God. 
He spared, he spared nothing of his own self. He spared he, not his son, but gave him freely up for us all, the Bible says. He is a so that kind of God. Let's look at another one, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Look at this one. I love this verse. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. What's the next two words? So that by his poverty you might become rich. You realize that that's what Jesus did for you. He, he had everything in heaven. He had everything. But earth was lost. And he said to the Father, I'll go. I'll come down. I'll abandon everything I have for these precious objects of your mercy. And I will lay it down so that the story can be written. God saving humans. If there, are, if there is a cause in heaven, it is God saving humans. If there's a cause for the church, it must be God save humans and use us to do it because you've got a story and some of your stories are very, very good. And, 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 and you think, well, no, no, it's not that great. It, it, is, it is good. It is good because your God is good. And he wants to give you a better story. And here's how you do it. You get better at telling it to more and more people so that by the end of the time, you're so good at telling it that by the time you're done telling it, people are like, whatever it is you got, I want. I want that for my life as well. You know, I was um, on vacation a couple weeks ago, you know this, and we were at an amusement park. And uh, I, I have always traditionally been um, a roller coaster kind of guy. And my precious 10-year-old daughter, she is a roller coaster kind of girl. And my wife and my son are sit at the snack counter and wait kind of people <laughs> while we go on the roller coasters. <coughs> and um, it's working out very well that way, by the way. But I realized that, um, you know, when you turn 35, something happens, and those roller coasters that you used to love, I don't know anymore. I, I used to ride roller coasters and go, yeah! And now I'm like, no! I was on this, this hanging roller coaster with my precious daughter, and we were riding, and she's just going, yeah, you know, she's got the hands up in the air, and I'm like, oh, 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 you know. Make it stop, make it stop. God, please. <coughs> and and um, I had, actually, I had hit my head on the counter the night before, so I had to soar, and I'm in the thing with the two, you know how they get it like super close, but just not close enough so that you have elbow room or head room to bang back forth, and every time I hit this side of my head, it was just ouch, 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 and so anyway, I, I had gotten sidetracked, and uh, as I am right now with the story, but nonetheless, I got off the roller coaster with my daughter, and I, and I do what I did, I did what I always do when I get off the roller coaster, and I felt my pockets, and I said, okay, good, there's, there's the wallet, it's right there, it's safe, it's there, and I felt from my iPhone, and it's gone. And the immediate thought came to my mind, don't panic. Don't panic. Where did I leave it? Maybe I gave it to Cheryl, didn't give it to Cheryl. Maybe I left it at the ride before, didn't leave it at the ride before because I had just taken pictures of us in line on that line. And so now I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it fell out of my pocket while I was on that stupid ride from hell. <laughs> I thought to myself, God, 
where could it be? It could be anywhere. It could be, it could be, it could have been flung across the park at that speed. And I thought to myself, where is my iPhone? I need my iPhone. And I ran up to the attendant right after I got off the ride and felt my, my pocket. And I went up to him and I said, sir, um, I hate to bother you, but I just lost my phone. And he said the very worst words I've ever heard another human being say to another human being. He said, just a second. I said, just a second. This is my iPhone, iPhone. Steve Jobs, Macintosh, Apple, you know the drill. This is precious to me. This is not one of your crappy flip phones, okay? This is a serious device for serious-minded tech people. This is my life, this is my lifeline, and I'm, I'm obsessed now, and I'm like, I'm looking at the fence, because I said, do you mind if I go look? I'll just dodge the cars as they come, and I'll look through the thing, just try to find my phone. He said, sir, we can't let you do that. I'm immediately eyeballing the fence to see, can I jump that fence and go in there without their permission? And I'm looking at myself, and I'm saying, I need this phone back, I need this phone back. They had to shut down the ride. And uh, the line, and I'm looking at the line as they, these two guys are dawdling through the area where my phone could possibly be, and the line is getting very, very, very long, and I don't care! <laughs> and this, this concerned citizen comes up to me and sits next to me, and she says, um, did you find your phone yet? I said, no, why? She said, well, my husband and son are in the line. I said, I don't care! <laughs> I didn't say that, but I said, oh, okay. But I'm looking at the line, and all of a sudden, I don't give a rip how uncomfortable those people are in the line. I just want what I lost found. And so I, I found out that, you know, with the magic of the iPhone, I could GPS locate it from my other, my wife's phone, and we found it under the third turn of the roller coaster, and I sent them there, I said, that's where it is, go get it, fine, and they got me back my phone, and it was saved, and I was so happy, I had a new lease on life, I was, I tweeted it, yeah, <laughs> so, so, so happy, and then the next day, I'm reading the Bible, God has a sense of humor, man. Here's the verse, Matthew 18, 12. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out and search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, truly I say to you that he rejoices over it more than the 99 who never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is heaven in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And God said to me, as clearly as I can tell you, he said, Tim, I wish that you were as passionate about what I've lost as you are, were about your iPhone being lost. And I hate it when God does that kind of thing to me. <laughs> And I said, God, I'm so sorry, you're right. You're right. There are people who need your story. But it's really bad and I'm ashamed. You don't need to be. Because th their story is really bad and they're ashamed of what they've done. And don't you realize that sometimes the number one reason why people don't want to come to church is because they don't feel good enough? So how freeing would it be 
If the church just got off of our high horses, stopped acting like we got it together, and started saying, I had the same junk you had. I once was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind, and now I see. I was deaf, and now I hear. I was, I was an adulterer. I was a fornicator. I was, I, was, I was a drunk. I was an alcoholic. I was divorced. I was abandoned. I was alone. I was addicted to approval of people, and God set me free and made me who I am today. I'm asking somebody in this church, share your story. <laughs> What would, what, what would happen? What would happen? And, and that's, that's my challenge, okay? Because verse 39, verse 39, Jesus says to the man, you go home. You go home. And you tell everyone what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things God had done for him. If you go to that very area of Israel today, there are two ruins, big slab ruins, of two churches, big churches, that are no longer there, but were back then in the first century AD that were started by that man. Go home. Tell your story. My challenge to you is this. Just open your mouth. You know, just wait for somebody to say something that has, that's in the same ballpark of whatever you've experienced. And you just, you know, oh, speaking of the stock market, <laughs> I remember when my husband and I were at wit's end about what we were going to do with our money, and we went to this church with this really hip, cool pastor, <laughs> and we put our trust in God, and I'll tell you something, he's turned our finances around. Speaking of desperate housewives, <laughs> I remember when I was a desperate housewife, and I prayed for my husband for years, and suddenly he came to Christ, and I'll tell you something, we have so much more to talk about and, and communicate about, and our marriage is, is not perfect, but I'll tell you something, it's getting better, it's getting better, it's getting better. Just tell your story, because all you really need is an open eye to see people for what they are, God's precious possession, an open ear to hear the cues from out of their mouth that they might be going through exactly what you went through, and then an open mouth to let it come out. Would you stand?